This evening we're going to consider Joseph from Potiphar's house to a prison house. And we're looking at Genesis chapter 39. When you think about it, any good thriller, whether it's a book or a movie, will have the main character going from from one potentially fatal calamity to another before finally prevailing and even triumphing. The Bible's record of the life of Joseph is certainly no exception. We've already seen in chapter uh, 37 that 17-year-old Joseph, who was loved by his father Jacob more than all his children, was sent on his own by his father on a journey of about 50 miles from Shechem to sorry, from Hebron to Shechem, to see if all was well with his brothers. They were looking after the flocks. One might say it was a mercy mission to people, but not any old people. Joseph's brothers, whom he travelled 50 miles to see if they were all right, they hated him and they envied him. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, he found out that his brothers had gone another 20 miles or so to Dothan. Instead of returning home, he could have done that, couldn't he? Once he found out they'd moved on, his brothers didn't particularly like him anyway, they hated him. He could have just gone back home and reported back to his father, but he didn't. You may recall he continued to Dothan knowing that his brothers hated him and envied him. When he found them, instead of receiving a hearty welcome from his big brothers, they threw him in a pit. Their plan had been to leave him to die, but they ended up selling him into slavery to Midianite merchantmen. What we're going to see today is Joseph, who, having been taken as a slave to Egypt by the Midianite merchantmen, was sold to Potiphar, and who was the captain of Pharaoh's army. And we see in chapter 39, verse 1, just how important that man was, Potiphar, who, whom Joseph was sold to as a slave. Look at verse 1 again. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Joseph became the property of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife made inappropriate advances towards Joseph. On one occasion, she took hold of his garment and he fled, leaving her holding his garment. She then accused him of making advances towards her and fleeing when she cried out loud. She completely turned things round. Chapter 39 ends with Joseph being given responsibility in the prison that Potiphar had confined him to. Without giving away too many spoilers this evening, the aforementioned events were all part of an ongoing story of intrigue and suspense that would ultimately end with the exaltation of Joseph and him becoming a deliverer during a time of famine, and it points to the most amazing series of events ever. 
the incarnate Son of God, going on a mercy mission into this dark world of sin to people who hated him. And he endured the hostility and the opposition of sinners, enduring the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, having brought deliverance from sin to all who would ever trust in him. But you can see, and we'll continue to see, just how much the, the story of Joseph points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we can look at Joseph's relationship with his master, Potiphar. Look at verse 2 again. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Potiphar was a man who had authority as a high-ranking military officer, and Joseph was his slave, having been sold to him by Ishmaelites, or Midianite merchantmen. In a sense, Joseph's life was quite literally in the hands of his master, who owned him. Even so, live or die, Joseph was in an infinitely more desirable position than his master. Why would that be? Why was Joseph, the slave, in a better position, ultimately, better position than his master, an important army officer under Pharaoh? Well, he was, in that the Lord was with him, despite him living as a slave in a strange land, far away from his doting father. We need we read nothing about the Lord being with Potiphar, whom we can assume was a heathen or a pagan. So, who of those two men was blessed? It was the one whom the Lord was with. It was Joseph. All too often we're inclined to measure God's favour by the possessions that we have and the positions that we hold. In time to come, Joseph would, according to God's purpose, rise up to a high position and no doubt accumulate earthly riches. But, as can be seen in verse 2, even as a slave, he already had everything in that the Lord was with him. He was already blessed with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ, who in time to come would come into the world and atone for all his sins. Had Joseph remained a slave until the day he died, he would still have had treasures in heaven, infinitely greater than the accumulated treasures of this world. And so do you, dear Christian, whatever your station in life, Whatever you have in this world, your greatest treasure of all is undoubtedly the God of your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and who gave himself for you. This is something that Joseph had and Potiphar didn't. The Lord was with Joseph. That's what we read in verse 2. Looking at verse 3 through to 5. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. 
and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Even though Potiphar was spiritually blind, he nevertheless saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that Joseph prospered. Potiphar could see all of that. The prosperity is thought to refer to Joseph's advancement in Potiphar's household and his success in his duties. So much so that having started as a menial slave, he was given charge of Potiphar's servants and everything else that was involved in the smooth running of Potiphar's household. I don't think that we would be looking too much into the text if we were to say that Potiphar would have been struck by Joseph's cheerful disposition when Joseph may well have been forgiven for being utterly miserable as a slave. Joseph would have been industrious or hard-working. His honesty, his integrity and reliability would also have been clear to see. But it doesn't end there. Of all those qualities, as commendable as they are, they would have been most likely accompanied by a testimony from Joseph of his faith in the Most High God, the Maker of heaven and earth. Without that testimony, he would have been seen to be an amazing person, no doubt, but not necessarily anything more than that. As it was, Joseph's pagan master saw that Jehovah, and not some imaginary God, was with him, causing him to prosper. Applying that to Christians, the Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. John Gill said the following about those words. The light of the gospel which Jesus had communicated to them, the spiritual knowledge of the mysteries of grace which he had favoured them with, were to be openly declared and made manifest before men. Light was not given merely for their own private use, but for the public good of mankind. And therefore, as they were placed as lights in the world, they were to hold forth in the most open and conspicuous manner the word of light and life, that they may see your good works, meaning their zeal and fervency, their plainness and openness, their sincerity, faithfulness and integrity, their courage and intrepidity, their diligence, industry, indefatigableness or tireless determination in preaching the gospel. Surely this evil world ought to be able to see that the Lord is with not just those whom Jesus has appointed to be preachers of the gospel, but also that the, this evil world ought to be able to see that the Lord is with the least of Christians, as it sees the works of their born-again lives and began here, and it hears the words that proceed from their mouths concerning God's mercy and his grace 
towards repentant sinners. Coming back to Joseph, it served God's purpose to find for, uh, it served God's purpose for him to find grace in Potiphar's sight and to prosper. However, as we shall see in later chapters, Joseph's life continued to be a roller coaster ride of ups and downs coming to an end with him reaching the dizzy heights of being even higher than Potiphar in importance in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. However, anyone who knows anything about the Bible and about church history will know that that most certainly does not hold, does not apply to all who belong to Jesus. It didn't apply to the Apostle James, who in Acts chapter 12 was killed with the sword by King Herod. And it didn't apply to Stephen, who in Acts chapter 7 was stoned to death. We don't always end our lives on a high, like Joseph. That's, that's what I'm saying there. What really matters for all of you is that you show repentance towards God and that you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour from sin. And whilst you abide in the flesh, in a world that is not your home, a world in which you are a stranger and a pilgrim, the Lord is with you. That's what really matters. The Lord is with you and he is leading you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake and for his glory. It, if that's you, then you have a certain hope that when you die, whether it be high up or low down on that roller coaster, either way, you will be, you will go to be with Jesus in heavenly glory. Secondly, we can look at Joseph's relationship with Potiphar's wife. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. When Eve was tempted by the serpent, instead of resisting in some way, she was deceived. She was deceived by the serpent. And then when she saw the forbidden fruit, she was tempted again. She lusted after that fruit and sure enough, she ate it. Likewise, when King David was on the roof of his palace, he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba washing herself, at which point he would have done well to look the other way, but he didn't. He took her, he lay with her, and she conceived. What followed was that David arranged for Bathsheba's husband Uriah to be killed in battle, but that wasn't the end of the matter, was it? Far from it. David was beset with various tragedies. For example, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore unto David. It was very sick, and despite David's prayers and his fasting, the child died. When David cried out to God concerning his adultery and his murder of Bathsheba's husband, he said, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. This is what David cried out to God. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. As for Joseph, he didn't have to pray 
against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, at least not with regards to committing adultery with his master's wife. May have been other occasions when he did have to pray such words, but certainly not in the case of Potiphar's wife. Temptation came Joseph's way repeatedly as day by day she sought to seduce him, saying, lie with me. I don't imagine that Joseph would have been able to complain to his master Potiphar about the advances of his lustful wife. However, Joseph did speak to Potiphar's wife. Look what he said in verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither have he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Therefore Joseph told her that Potiphar had entrusted him with everything in his house apart from his wife. How could he betray that trust? Also, not only would Joseph have sinned against Potiphar had he lain with her, most of all, he would have sinned against God who had sanctified the marriage union between a man and his wife. Finally, On a day when they were alone in the house, she grabbed hold of his garment, once again saying, lie with me. Joseph fled, leaving his master's amorous wife holding his garment. The Bible commentator, John Gill again, he said, John Gill said, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. It was his outward loose garment she laid hold on, out of which he slipped himself and so got clear of her and ran away and got out of the house as fast as he could. This he did because he would not struggle with his mistress for his garment, which no doubt by his strength he could have got from her. I've underlined the next bit because I think this is highly relevant and Gil, although Gil mentions it, most of the commentators don't seem to mention this. And partly lest he should, by handling of her, have carnal desires excited in him and so be overcome with her temptation. I think that's relevant, that. He was a young man. Dear Christian, when you are faced with temptation to sin against God, which I'm sure you are, you are to draw on the enabling grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you from the penalty of sin when he sacrificially laid down his life for you at the cross and then Jesus rose from the dead triumphantly on the third day. Therefore, look not to yourself to overcome temptation to sin when the fiery darts of Satan and this world of which Satan is prince assail you if you look to yourself to flee from temptation in your own strength what's going to happen I think you know the answer to that I know the answer to that we all do when we when we seek to overcome sin in our own strength it doesn't happen or it may do for a while and then it comes back to haunt us again and again and again You're more likely to stumble and fall if you try to overcome temptation in your own strength. 
And then when, when that happens, you will even, you may even seek to justify your sin with very imaginative excuses for why you did this and why you did that. And with some twisted logic that proceeds from your own sinful and deceitful heart. Far better to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who, having saved you by his grace, is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Not your strength, but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Joseph's relationship with a jailer Potiphar's scorned wife accused Joseph of having made obscene advances towards her and Potiphar had him thrown in prison. It's astonishing that Joseph did not lose his life, don't you think so? Again, Potiphar was an important man, a military man and Joseph was his slave. Even though he had charge of the household, he was nevertheless Potiphar's property. And Potiphar's wife made those allegations, false allegations, against Joseph. When I read that, I think Joseph could have so easily lost his life. It's been suggested that Potiphar spared his life because he didn't really believe his wife's story. It doesn't really say that, does it? Maybe there's, maybe there's some truth in that. It doesn't say it. However, we are specifically told in verse 19 that when Potiphar heard the words of his wife, his wrath was kindled. 